0: hello 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 everybody welcome to stat shocking traumas and treatments and i am your host karen Wickham with mary gardner coming to you from beautiful toronto ontario canada
1: hello everybody welcome back
0: welcome back so last episode we discussed how eugenics played a huge role in medical experiments because they dehumanized people. They wanted to get rid of what they considered unfit individuals from society. And then they were more than happy to use them in medical experiments to enhance their lives, not the unfit, and get some use out of the unfit sucks on society. And today we're going to discuss some horrible, horrible doctors and the experiments they did. Right off the bat, I'm giving a trigger warning because I'm going to be talking about some really disturbing things that involve children.
1: Yes, it is going to be difficult to listen to some of this stuff, but it's important we discuss it so that we make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen again.
0: We don't want history to repeat itself, and we need to honor those that became victims to help us have better lives, because our lives have improved, our lives have been saved on the backs of these children, these people Okay, yeah, but at a terrible cost at though. a terrible cost, okay. let's I want to start off with the Nuremberg Code because this this is the the next part of history, the next progression into what was about to happen in terms of experiments. I think most of you guys know about the Nuremberg Code, but I think we should go through it again. So there were it started off with the Nuremberg trials. The Nuremberg trials happened to punish those horrible, horrible, psychotic members of the Nazi Germany party, the higher ups that did these extremely horrific things to Jewish people. The Allied powers came together, Great Britain, France, US, Soviet Union, and they formed the International Military Tribunal. 1945 to 1946, Nazi Germany leaders stood trial for crimes against peace, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and conspiracy to commit any of the foregoing crimes. There was an indictment of 24 major war criminals and seven organizations on October 18, 1945, but only 21 of those could be indicted. Because three of the top leaders committed suicide, and that was Adolf Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, and Henrik Himmler. Now, there's a lot of conspiracy out there whether Hitler actually killed himself or he escaped, whatever. I'm going to put it down as this. Well, he escaped justice from anybody except himself, I guess. Yeah. So out of those 21, 12 were sentenced to death. In total, 177 defendants were tried. And the people and I'm gonna name the, the people that were involved because you're gonna see it's like the the people that were involved in the human medical experiment. So high or believed in eugenics. So we've got high ranking physicians, judges, industrialists, SS commanders, police commanders, military personnel, civil servants, and diplomats and many of them were given death sentences as well. So, you know, those higher-ups are similar to the higher-ups in in the U.S. medical experiments and eugenics that said, yeah, we got to get rid of these people or use them for something. The Nuremberg Code was uh, established in 1947, and it was put in place to make sure that none of these things could happen again. And if they broke this code or any part of the code, they could be tried for it. It's a 10-point statement, and I'm just going to go over it quickly so that we understand how many of these were broken in the upcoming medical experiments that took place in the U.S. and Canada as well. Number one, voluntary consent. So the person has to have legal capacity, power of choice without force, informed consent, and the people performing this must be qualified, moral, and ethical. Two, it has to be good for society. Three, designed and based on results of animal experimentation. Four, conducted to avoid physical and mental suffering and injury. Five, death or disabling injury, unless it's the physician doing it to themselves. <laughs> I'm all for it if they're breaking these rules. Six, the degree of risk never exceeds the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved you know, we're not going to be putting people through horrific experiments to figure out how to cure hangnails. Seven, adequate facilities. Eight, the qualifications of the persons that are doing the tests have to be of the highest degree of skill and care. Nine, the subject can opt out at any time. And 10, the scientist in charge can end this experiment at any time if the above other nine criteria are not met. Here are some examples of the experiments they did in Nazi Germany that led to the Nuremberg Code being put in place. So they would immerse people in icy water, force them to swallow salt water. They were killed in gas chambers, placed in vacuum chambers, injected with plagues, and subject to horrific bone transplantation surgery. And the reason why they were doing this, because they were trying to see how they could help their military, their soldiers, if they were to, um, you know, a plane would crash in, in the ocean in icy conditions and, and et cetera. So that's why they were doing a lot of yeah, these things. Yeah, so it tests. wasn't necessarily
1: a noble cause for the greater good. It was how their military soldiers would survive better and conquer.
0: It It was absolutely... Not for the greater good. They were like trying to sew people together. You know, they were the vacuum chamber one. uh, What could it would it either you would implode or explode depending. This is some sick shit. And here was the US's reaction to the code. They believe that this was a one off situation. Nothing like what happened in Nazi Germany ever happened before. Was a standalone situation and it was likely never to happen again. So the US just didn't need to follow these rules because they would do this in a morally and ethical way and we're not Nazis. And the US had already been committing crimes against humanity and medical atrocities for at least a century. They did not follow any of the principles of the Nuremberg Code before. Or after it was established. I mean, before, meaning that they were guilty of doing lots of horrible things. And it was at its worst between the end of the 1940s into the 1970s, if you can believe it. It was the Tuskegee syphilis experiment that put everything into everybody in the public's eye and the scientists and doctors' eye, where they were like, oh, wait a minute, we can't let this happen again. It took that for them to actually uh, start changing the way that they did things or be held accountable for it. Yeah, that's the thing. Oops, we got caught. (laughs) Yeah. The Nuremberg Code wasn't taught in medical schools or to scientists. Many, many, many of the worst said that they either didn't know about it or they knew about it and it was sort of blown off as, well, okay, that's what it is and, you know, wink, wink, Well, that
1: wasn't like during war and that was Nazis. Like we're not, we're not Nazis. That's what it was. Exactly. After all, we're not Nazis. Yeah.
0: And they already had dehumanized victims to such a degree that they didn't even qualify as people in their minds.
1: Well, that's probably why they
0: thought it didn't apply to them. Right? Exactly. So what they did next is say, well, the Nuremberg code is just too claustrophobic. We need to put something else together. So, um, the next thing that was put in place was the Declaration of Helsinki. Uh, doctors came together, the World Health Organization in 1964. And this was a declaration that was written by doctors, for doctors, with doctors. How convenient. Oh, yeah. So basically it's they Cover your butt on all angles. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only that, write it to how you want it to be. hmm So they now could pretty much do whatever they needed to do in the name of science or in the name of medical progress. Okay, so this declaration removed the words that were a part of the Nuremberg Code. They took out deceit, duress, fraud, force, and coercion. They felt the Nuremberg Code would stand in the way of them being able to do what they needed to do. So to sum it up, the Nuremberg Code would stand in the way of the growing medical research society, and they were hell-bent on outdoing each other at the expense of their, quote-unquote, human materials. The 1950s and 60s left a path of destruction in the wake of megalomania and greed, and there was just too much money and prestige at stake. They're not really people, and, you know, I, I, I've got to figure this out so I can get a lot of money and have my name in, in history, put in history. So the obvious places to conduct their experiments were institutions for the feeble-minded and lunatics and defectives, orphanages and mental asylums and prisons. And there were many reasons that they would test there. And we've gone through this before because eugenics dehumanized these people, these wastes, these weeds that needed to be removed. They were isolated, controlled environment. No consent needed, full cooperation of the facility, endless numbers of test subjects, and the test materials were cheap. And clinical trials would go like this, or something like this. You would go from hypothesis to practice. So, how would that look? First, you would test on mice and guinea pigs, and then they would move on to monkeys and then people. However, monkeys became too expensive. So, they went from mice and guinea pigs to human materials to normal humans because they put more emphasis on on monkeys than the disabled
1: so basically the value was about value that's what i meant to say yeah you know was like well it costs too much money for this experiment to to use monkeys because they cost more. So we'll just use humans that are readily available and they're just, you know, a drain on society anyway. Yeah,
0: exactly. And what was also part of it is that there was already horrible conditions in the institutes, okay, that these horrible conditions were equal to, very similar to terrible conditions found during wartime, if you can believe that. Oh, I believe it. So you think about people fighting in the trenches and and the diseases they would get. It was on par because they were living conditions that were filthy. And infectious hepatitis, dysentery, infectious diseases like pneumonia, TB, and measles and encephalitis were like a common thing that you would see there are common diseases because it was so filthy. There are feces everywhere. They were literally living in their own filth. Willowbrook hospital had 4,000 people living in there and minimal staff. We've seen, uh, if you go on YouTube, I'll, I'll put a link and you can see, uh, the, the, not sure if it was Geraldo Rivera, or another journalist that went in there with cameras and showed the conditions, and they're they're horrible. You'd see people lying naked on the floors in their own filth. Many of these individuals that couldn't care for themselves were fed like a gruel on a spoon, and it was just shoved in their mouth. It it, it just just terrible, terrible things that were, how they were being treated, how they lived, what they had to go through. Now. I want to briefly touch on the Cold War, which was from 1947 to 1991. And it was the machine that drove a lot of human medical experiments. The U.S. wanted to ensure that the nation could eradicate disease both at home and the military, because if they were healthy, they could win. And this would drive a lot of the studies. Prestige, fame and money was the gas in the engine the risk of the few was worth it for the betterment of society. Because after all, it was the least that these people can do. They were unfit defectives and they were drain on society and it was their patriotic duty. These, these, these people, these victims were exploited in the name of science. Now I want to I touch a little bit on a, a couple of these uh, bastards, these sickos. Um, one of them, the first one here is Dr. Joseph Stokes Jr., he was one of the leading viral and vaccine specialists in the U.S., and he experimented on the most vulnerable populations, and he called them volunteers. All
1: <laughs> Voluntold.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. He played a powerful role establishing medical policy, okay, which is scary. <laughs> yeah. And he loved to use disabled children in human experiments, even if it was they were not necessary experiments. And he was opposed to the restrictions and guidelines for the use of children in medical experiments because he felt that they stood in the way of medical research. And he felt that it was ethical bullying that they were going through these these poor doctors and and scientists, and that ethics were a harmful concept.
1: So, meanwhile, like pretty much every... Every profession in the medical field has a code of ethics that they're supposed to follow.
0: Well, it was bullying. They were being bullied to have to be humane, decent, ethical and moral people. During the 1950s, the citizens of America were terrified of the Soviet Union propaganda. So yes, there was a Cold War going on. It was it was scary. But they fed on the on the paranoia of the people of the nation. And they took full advantage of this opportunity. And one of the studies that they were going to be doing, because they thought at any given time, a nuclear weapon would be used on them. They needed to do radiation experiments. I'm going to talk about the radiation experiments in a little while, just not now. And they're, they're horrible what they did to these kids. And horrible, horrible. And some mothers that were pregnant, so indirectly to the babies. Mm-hmm. So the medical science community preyed on this, on this fear, and they used this fear to justify the atrocious medical experiments that they did on disabled children, the mentally ill orphans or anybody that were deemed unfit. Things like the CIA and the MK Ultra mind control experiments were going on during this time. Now, that's coming up. After, we're going to be talking about that after this, this series with the kids. And it's interesting as hell. It's scary as hell. Next doctor I want to talk about is Dr. Jonas Salk. Do you, does that name sound familiar to you? A little bit. I don't know why. Jonas Salk. Well, he was a virologist who found uh, a vaccine for polio. Oh, okay. That's probably why then. Yes. But they don't know that he conducted tests on these these children. To mm. discover the cure, mm, forgot that part conveniently. Yeah, and he also did these terrible uh, influenza experiments as well. So let's let's just become blind, close our eyes to the just fact br- that brush over that part. he did horrible things to disabled children to find a cure, and he also did some hydrocephalus studies and just just horrible things. So I just want to put out like here is a perfect example of a doctor who did do a great thing, but. He did horrible things as well to, to cure. Right. At and what, that is just left cost? out of the history books, right? Mm-hmm. The next doctor I want to talk about is Dr. Albert Montgomery Kligman. And he was an absolute psychopath. He did ringworm studies. He was a dermatologist.
1: Mm-hmm. No, 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 no.
0: Yeah. And he did these tests, state colonies for the feeble-minded in Vineland and Woodbine, New Jersey. Okay. So he was a researcher and professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Narcissist, sociopath. And it's his students enjoyed his teaching style because he was very charismatic. But many became uneasy when he started recounting the stories of the experiments he conducted on disabled children. And... He was completely cold about it. And he spoke in a callous, matter of fact manner. They were his materials, his subjects, as he put it. He was an expert on fungus and fungicides. And ringworm doesn't involve worms at all. Yeah, no, a lot of people get that wrong. But yeah, it's a fungus. It's a fungus, yeah. So he abraded the scalps of the children in these institutions by rubbing the the ringworm fungus into their scalps and he felt that he could do whatever he wanted to because he was too brilliant to abide by the rules and he had really had free reign to do whatever he pleased at the institutions like i've mentioned many times before they were built-in labs these places and here's a quote from the book against their will uh, discussing the way he conducted his studies and treated the children. Quote, In one set of studies designed to measure severe scalp trauma and supported by the grant from the U.S. Public Health Service, Kligman took eight children between the ages of six and ten and rubbed ringworm-infected hairs over the area of their scalp. A corresponding area was first vigorously scraped with a dull knife and there was copious amounts of exudation in serum mixed with the blood. Mm. Ten infected hairs were then applied to the abraded area, and these readily stuck to the site of the disposition and were then applied in the crust that formed. Mm. Nasty. In total, Kligman took either a dull or blunt knife to the scalps of dozens of disabled children and then proceeded to anoint them with ringworm the experiment produced lesions that were not treated and obviously he preferred to observe the fungus run its course in the experimental subjects in the article in which the results were published kligman made no mention of gaining parental permission for these experiments or notifying the superintendent exactly for what he was doing to these children
1: well, it's just their hair. What's the big deal, right?
0: Well, or their their scalp. <laughs> exactly, their scalp. So the next part of this <sighs> study was to find a cure, a treatment for ringworm. And what he decided to do was test various strengths of formalin solution. So I'm going to just tell you a bit about formalin. Formalin is formaldehyde. In an aqueous solution. So they mix formaldehyde and basically a water solution, which is also mixed with methanol, which is an industrial solvent. So poisoning to this only takes a very small amount, and children are more susceptible because they're little mm-hmm. and they're immune compromised in these places and they get a terrible effect. In much smaller amounts much smaller doses and it causes corrosive injuries to the eyes and blindness Mm -hmm. in the gi tract in the pharynx epiglottis esophagus stomach they go into metabolic acidosis circulatory shock respiratory and renal failure and it was a carcinogen so if they only got say mild cases of that stuff or any one of those things on top of it all, it is a carcinogen. And now that we established how horrible the shit is, and he was using different amounts, anything from, you know, small amount to potentially fatal amounts. So he, he would take a, a one of those tight rubber bathing caps, cut a hole in the top, he would pour in a hundred mils of formalin on gauze and place it on top of the head and then glue the cap shut. And he would do this for an hour and use solutions up to full strength. Not even like he would add different strengths to water and then would use up to full strength. He bragged that one child lasted for five hours with this on their head. You mean lasted for five hours? Well, they were able to keep it on his head for five hours before he would scream out in unbearable pain and and would have permanent damage. He pushed the envelope because he could. And he was a a narcissist, megalomaniac, psychopath, (laughs) who was motivated by money and fame. And he achieved it. He even admitted that he knew that, that formalin wouldn't work, but he wanted to see now at this point what the effects of extreme exposure would be. So I don't think this is going to work, but let's see how, see how far we can uh, we can push this. So this is a quote many years after his retirement. He was reminiscing about his experiments mm-hmm. in the 1950s to the 1970s. Quote, things were simpler then. Informed consent was unheard of and no one asked me what I was doing. It was a wonderful time to do research, end quote. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's just Uh, sick shit right there. Informed consent wasn't
1: a thing. Yeah, Yeah, and it was Uh, a wonderful time. I think it was because there was the Nuremberg Code.
0: (laughs) Oh, the Nuremberg, you know, nothing. It was whatever. That. Yeah. Ethical bullying. Doesn't apply. Doesn't apply. We're not Nazis after all. Mm -hmm. So next I want to talk about thallium experiments. Do you know what thallium is? Or have you heard of it? I feel like I have, but I don't recall. There's thalidomide, right? Yeah, it's different. That's different. Okay. So thallium is a heavy metal and it's one of the most toxic substances on earth. It's tasteless, odorless, water soluble, and it's ingested by inhalation, topically, orally. And it's easy to be accidentally exposed. So if you're around it, you can inhale it and not even realize that happened. So it was once used as rat poison and it acts rapidly and can be in your system for a very long time. And the symptoms of poisoning happened over a period of time. There is generally a latent phase in between the symptoms depending on how much you were exposed to. So your symptoms were in the first few hours, nausea and vomiting and peripheral neuropathy. So your soles and the palms of your hand would would be burning and you would feel weakness in your body and you'd have ataxia. So you're unsteady and, and walking and this would last for a couple of days. And then at two to four days, you would get Uh, person gets confusion, hallucinations, psychosis, aggression, which leads to convulsions, coma and death. If you make it past the confusion hallucination state, you get hair loss. And that happens um, in the latent stages between two to four weeks. So that's what this doctor was going for, the hair loss. So it would take two to four weeks to get to that point, unless, it depends on how much you give. So these, these test subjects, these children, were put and had to go through a lot of these symptoms just to get to where he wanted it to be. And he thought he could use it for a treatment against ringworm. Because after all, if the children were bald, they could treat it easier. We could use thallium. He did his experiments at the Children's Hospital on... Randall's Island, New York City. He did it to 47 children with a ringworm between the ages of 2 and 13. They were poisoned. They got very sick. They had joint pain, nausea, loss of appetite. They became irritable and aggressive. They had permanent thyroid damage. When all was said and done, he thought the experiments were had gone really well. well and of course from his perspective, he was happy with the results. But he knew that it would be too toxic to be used. The next one I want to talk about is gelatin experiments. They wanted to stop something that was happening to neonates. Some babies were having spontaneous hemorrhaging. We now know that it's from a vitamin K deficiency. So all newborns receive a one-time intramuscular shot of vitamin K within six hours of birth.
1: Okay. Didn't know
0: that. Yeah. And vitamin K is needed for blood clotting. So the babies get one shot of that and it stops this from happening. Only then they didn't know what it was. So what they did, and there's not a lot of information about what they put in the gelatin, but it was a blood thickening substance. And they would take this gel and apply it between the shoulder blades of the babies and in one child they did it rectally yeah why well we need to find out the babies sorry sorry go ahead find out what how what was the best way to apply it to make it work so that to see how it works the babies became gravely ill and some died and what was happening, they would, they would have a increased heart rate and respiratory rate and fever. So they were, they they had toxemia. And how did this happen? Well, the gel was made from animal bones. So they had tomin poisoning.
1: Tommene poisoning.
0: So I
1: don't know if I know that.
0: Yeah, because the, the animal bones weren't sterilized or processed properly. Basically it's caused by the rotten Okay, breakdown of from animal bones, wow, so yeah, and it did cause clotting for those children that didn't die from this or didn't become critically ill. it might it worked a little bit, and the thing is it was working too well, mm. or they were getting poisoning from animal tissues, but it was recommended for further study and use,
1: okay, then. <laughs>
0: Okay, the next doctor and study I want to talk about is uh, Dr. Saul Krugman. He did hepatitis studies at Willowbrook School. He was approached by the school to do studies for hepatitis. I just—we talked earlier about how the children lived in filth. Well, yeah, so they probably all had it. So why not? (laughs) Yeah, and hepatitis was—it ran rampant through there, no doubt. So they conducted abusive experiments on people who couldn't give consent. And nor did he get parental consent. Some of these kids were just dropped off there, just dumped there, never to be seen by family again. Hmm. That's so sad. So they were putting infected stool into chocolate milk and gave it to them to drink. Oh my God, that's so gross. Yeah. Ew. These children were then isolated and monitored. And within a month, one child became jaundiced and had abdominal pain and swelling of the abdomen. So, you know, why. like a CDs from hepatitis. But for them, one child was not enough. They increased the dosage of stool in the chocolate milk. And then 12 children were forced to drink this vile concoction to become infected. And these children suffered greatly. Fever. Vomiting, diarrhea, enlarged liver, jaundice, abdominal pain, and swelling. And we're not just talking low-grade fevers or a little bit of vomiting. I mean, we're talking constant vomiting, explosive diarrhea, abdominal horrible, horrible. Yeah, well, I would
1: think having eating poop would do that to you, or
0: poop-infused milk. God. So after getting the results from those tests, they began experimenting on um, the children of Willowbrook again with vaccines for the prevention of the infections of hepatitis. So let's give it to them. And now let's do tests for vaccines. They also did at Willowbrook through this Dr. Krugman, uh, Thorazine studies and measles studies. And he actually developed an effective vaccine for measles, mumps, and rubella uh, at the expense of the uh, Littlebrook students. So we have them mm. to thank. Yeah, Thorazine, Thorazine. That's uh, a psychiatric drug. Oh, okay. called okay. like uh, chemical uh, lobotomy.
1: Right. Okay, I think I remember that from um, Dr. Lobotomy
0: episodes. Yeah. The next we're going to talk about here are TB studies that were done at Catholic St. Vincent's Home for Orphans in Pennsylvania. They were TB studies performed by a Albert Calmet, a bacteriologist. He was looking for a diagnostic test for tuberculosis. Tuberculosis often doesn't show itself for a long time.
1: Yeah, some people can be kind of like latent or, or asymptomatic for quite a while. Exactly. But they
0: have it and they can spread it, right? Exactly. And it goes in and out of remission. So he came up with three different diagnostic tools to do this. And he trialed these diagnostic tests on these children. The test was called the Calmet test. Oh, right. And it was... Name um, it after yourself, right? Yes, of course. Of course. And it was uh, an eye drop. Mm. So he filled it with the tuberculin. And he dropped it into the, the eyes of these, of these orphans, of these children. And ophthalmologists were really concerned about this test and they considered it dangerous. So <laughs> there were a ton of really good doctors out there that weren't doing tests. And when they heard about it, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, you can't do this. Most of the children they used in the experiment were between the ages of three and four years old. So young and they tested it on 130 children. Oh my God. It was very painful and caused extreme inflammation of the eye. And on one account, it was stated that the children would lie in their beds, moaning from the pain, unable to get any relief and they were unable to sleep. Yeah, it's just sick shit. There was a doctor that had gone through there and they just hear the, the screams and the cries and the moaning and their eyes were just swollen and infected and it would abrade the actual surface of the eye.
1: That's horrible.
0: Another test that was done at the same time at different institutions and orphanages across the country was they were giving the distemper virus to children.
1: Wait, distempers
0: dogs, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Why would they give it to children?
0: Well, because it was related to the measles virus. So they wanted to see how it would react in kids. So let's just give 26 children between the ages of 2 and 12 distemper.
1: Hmm. Can we get
0: distemper then? I think we can get sick from it, but it's not, you know, some things are human only or animal only depending on the animal. They also did flu inhalation experiments. Uh, They did tests uh, on diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Mump studies, and then they would trial a vaccine on these very, very, very ill children. So make them sick and then try to cure them. Yeah, some were mildly, moderately, and morbidly ill. The next test is the uh, a trichinella skin test, and you get trichinella from eating raw, undercooked meat. It's a parasite. Oh yes, yes, yes. You often hear it like from pork.
1: I think there was that show where the
0: guy ate
1: bear. Yeah. <laughs> bear. Bear meat. No, but raw bear. Uh, it was undercooked, I think it was. Or yeah, undercooked, was <laughs> yeah.
0: And they did this in an orphanage in North Carolina. And it was the Methodist Children's Home. And 285 children were fed inactive trichinella virus. But it wasn't all that inactive, And many tested positive. And what happened to them is they got traumatic damage to the intestinal tissue. Severe nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, sweating, facial edema, fever, intense muscular pain, difficulty breathing, weakened pulse and blood pressure, heart damage, various nerve disorders, and sometimes death. These children suffered greatly for these tests. And that's where we're going to end this episode today. Okay. Well, I think that's uh that was pretty heavy. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so the next episode I'm going to be talking about radiation experiments mm. and psychological experiments. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So that's what you have have to look forward to. Mhm. I I want to think everybody who listens to the show and there's there's something that i had not or hadn't been doing for a while and that was thanking people for reviews so i'm going to start doing that so thank you to every single person who has left me a review even the bad ones mm. because you know what sometimes i learn something from it true feedback feedback is good as much as i go fuck <laughs> oh ouch i go well, maybe there's something to it. Mm. At least I, I should explore it. Unless it's something like, you know, you just suck, period. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't do much about that. <laughs> Na-na-na-na-boo-boo. Boo. So I want to thank KT Lasagna for the review you gave me. And I'm, I'm just going to read the review because it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so excited for more episodes. Karen, you are awesomely real. It's refreshing and I love the content you put out and the way you tell people's stories with respect. It's serious, entertaining and teaches me a lot. Excited to hear more. Ah, that's awesome. Yay, <laughs> thank you, KT. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. KT lasagna. And at this point, from this point on anybody who can, who puts out a, uh, a review, um, is going to get a big thank you. Uh, because I think I, I, you know, I want to recognize that. I mean, I already recognize everybody that listens to it, but you, you take it, you took it that one step further and, mm. and wrote a review. So thank you very much. Yes. And Facebook page. Go on the Facebook page. Now I haven't been that active on the Facebook page recently because I've been busy. She's had her head down and writing, writing, writing. Yeah. <laughs> so typing, um, typing, 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 typing. Okay. So I'm sorry for that. I'm going to try to engage more, but uh, please go on there. Sign up if you haven't yet and just say what you want. Post. It's open for anybody to post whatever they want. And unless you par- post something that's ridiculous and offensive, um, over the top what we already post. Yes, in a negative way. We mm-hmm. We welcome engagement from everybody. Sure. Ah, uh, okay. So to end today's episode, I just want to say that you take care of each other, you take care of yourselves, that you love each other, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love.